Hello, and welcome to another episode of SASLife.fm. I'm Chris, and here with me, as always, is Sam. Although, in this case, it's been a little while, huh, Sam? It has. It's been, I think, about two months since we've actually had a chance to sit down and talk. I think it's that, you know, that summertime is just keeping everything busy. But I'm excited to sit down today and, and catch up. Yeah, let's do it. So what's been going on with you? You know, give us the kind of overview over the last week or two. Last week was a tough one. We just had, on the personal level, we just had a lot of stuff happening as as a family. So we had we had a birthday in there. There was just a lot of appointments and a lot of running around. So from a from a productivity standpoint and a business standpoint, I bet I maybe had, gosh, twenty hours to throw at the business. So it just it felt like one of those really disconnected weeks of just randomness. This week, it's a Tuesday. Is already like <laughs> 10 times better productivity wise. So I think it just kind of ebbs and flows like that. Sometimes you have weeks that just don't come together and this week's shaping up a lot better. I'm getting a lot done. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. I kind of end up working the same way. Some of those weeks are just lost and I think that's life, whether you're an entrepreneur or working for a big company. It is. And especially when you, when you throw into the mix a four-year-old and a four-month-old, it's just anything can happen. You know, you get a random sickness in there and that takes out a day. And, you know, if you have some meetings and stuff, it just, the productivity that I was doing, I've been talking a lot to, to customers and just kind of seeing how they're using the platform, kind of doing deep dives with them. And that doesn't feel like I'm getting a lot done, even though it's probably one of the more important things that I can possibly do on the business. So it's productive, but it's not the same as, you know, slinging code and, and building out and releasing a new feature. So it's a different type of productivity. Nice. Glad to hear it. Yeah. And speaking of productivity, I, you have actually converted me over to linear. So I am starting that for my project planning. I haven't fully gotten the, the contractor onboarded onto that. So I'm really just kind of testing it out myself internally. And so far I'm, I'm really liking it. And I have to say, you scooped the one and only Rob Walling. So I know you've been talking about linear for a long time, but Rob put out a, a video, I think it was a few weeks ago now, of eight dev tools that you're probably not using. And linear was one of them. And he admitted that he just learned about it a few weeks before recording that video. So you're way ahead of, of the curve here, my friend. <laughs> oh, perfect. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, linear is awesome. I, I love linear. We live in linear and you know i've used github issues i've used jira i've used a handful of other things and by far at least for my brain linear seems to be working the best i will say you know we had to start and then come back to it a few different times it is opinionated software that said what's kind of cool is you can use it in a pretty lightweight way i feel like just scratching the surface and creating issues or you can dig deeper. And so this is kind of what we found ourselves doing is layering on different features, you know, starting to use cycles and roadmaps more. We actually just turned on the triage feature, which acts as like a little holding pen. So if somebody submits an issue from Zendesk, for example, or from like our UI UX person, that goes into the triage, which I then kind evaluate. Of like a, a shared inbox type of thing, or you're, you're assigning that out then? Yeah, I'm assigning it out. So it's basically, it comes to me and, you know, some of these issues, 
it gives people the freedom to just throw issues in there without worrying about them being precise or worrying if we have duplicates or anything like that, you know, because that's really not their role and it would really slow things down if customer support or UI UX had to worry about that. So it gives them the opportunity to just submit issues and me the opportunity to then tailor them to the actual development pipeline. That's an interesting way to look at it in in the sense that you are still the owner of the of the issues in the sense of like not only the, through the assignment process, but just making sure because you're absolutely right. There are a lot of different ways that you can configure an issue and a lot of different metadata that you can put on there, like priority or categorizations or all, you know, not only beyond just assigning it to a project too. And so I think it requires someone to have ownership of the linear world to say, this is how we're structuring these issues. Here's how we're assigning them. So that's a neat feature. And like I said, I haven't done it in a team environment yet. I'm really, I'm literally just doing what you said, which is using it for issue tracking, maybe assigning some dates for, for projects. So it's helping me kind of view the long-term calendar of where these different projects come into play, but it definitely looks like it's built for teams and can do some really strong features and, and divvying that up. It is. And we now pay for it. They have a very generous free plan. I think we touched on it in a previous episode. They kind of do something cool too, where they let you keep using it beyond your limits, but they definitely display a prominent warning that, hey, you're over your limit. So for me, I'm going, well, at any time now, it might shut off on me. Not shut off, but it might prevent me from creating an issue. And there's times, you know, when you're really working, you're in the flow of something, you just quickly create an issue to capture it and then move on. And so if I had to completely derail whatever I was working on in order to clean up some issues so that I had enough room on the free plan, that would not be cool. I bet they've spent some time understanding their customer because if you think about a lot of dev shops, the devs that are dealing with the issues aren't necessarily the ones that control the the check, so to speak. Like they're they're not actually paying for the product. Like especially in the inter- enterprise environment, like they might have gotten authorization for it, but they're not the ones that are actually paying for it on a, on a, on a monthly basis. The, the company is. And so to shut down their process, like you said, in the midstream, it's like, no, we're going to be generous. We're going to let you know about this, but you got to, you got to get a hold of accounting and take care of this and upgrade, but we're not going to completely shut you out at this point. That's, that's exactly. I did not mean for this to be a linear episode, but I have yeah. to say now, <laughs> you know, I, we, we're going to steal that for our plans too. Well, I've always had this idea with, you know, wanting to be really generous and good to our customers with recurring revenue plans. And so for me, that means, for example, if you come to us and say, Hey, I want to cancel my, my support and maintenance agreement or whatever it is, we're probably just going to let you do it. Even if you're in an annual commitment, you know, I mean, this is on renewal time, for example, like we don't want anybody to feel like it's a gotcha and oh cool yeah you know you missed the email and so now it's it was supposed to renew on december 31st now it's january 2nd and your credit card was charged but actually this isn't what you want just not a game we're gonna play but i think we could take that further with a linear like approach to your inspection thresholds right like I was just going to say that. I mean, if you think about like, especially if you have a larger contractor company that's out in the field, if that contractor hits one of those limits and can't like complete the inspection, but they're not the one that's, that's paying for it. You know, the company is all you're building is ill will at that point, because now they're, now they're just ticked off that they're like, I had a guy out in the field and he literally couldn't do his job. He had to waste an hour 
you know, getting a hold of a calling the call you. And, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. That could be an interesting take. It goes both ways. I mean, it builds trust, but it's also like, it sets you up a little bit for having to hound some customers down the line, you know, and be like, eh, you really got to take care of this. And that's probably worth the cost. Well, I think you can probably, at least we intend to limit it at some point. And I think that linear probably does too. I never hit that issue limit, but you know, if you are allowed a thousand inspections and you're at 2000, well, <laughs> I think it's pretty reasonable <laughs> right. to turn it off at that point. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's cool. That's interesting to think about that, that overall flow of what happens when you hit those limits. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a fun feature. I'll keep everybody updated if and when we actually roll that out, but it is kind of on our, we do the now next later road mapping. And so it's, sure. it's in the later bucket right now. It's a cool <laughs> right. concept. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, enough about that. How are how are things in your world? What's going on? Oh, good. Fall is here. Looking out my window, it is beautiful. We have had just a perfect fall. So it's been pretty good. We we're in that cold snap right now, so it's like super freezing. But it, it bounces back next week. But it has been a really nice fall on our end too. So that's that's fantastic to hear. Yeah, it's one of my favorite seasons. And sometimes, I mean, I was looking back at pictures. We had a about six or eight inches of snow on the ground, October 11th of last year. So here we are on the 18th of October and going strong, but that is set to turn. So yeah, I think next week there is a snowstorm coming, but we won't be here. We're actually no. packing up the family and headed to Hawaii for 10 days. Oh, the island's very nice. 10 days. That's, that's a good trip. You know, we're going to haul the kids over there. We go through Denver and then it's another seven and a half hours from Denver. Turning around even within a week just isn't going to work. Yeah. When you have that upfront cost of how much time it takes to get out there, it's just good to to make a home base and just just be there for a while. So I'm assuming you're all packed and ready to go. And (laughs) Oh, that is the issue. No, I am not yet packed. My giant list, which I'm showing now does not have nearly enough things crossed off. And to be honest, I'm I'm a little bit stressed going in and, and I, I hate that feeling. I feel like I wish I could move this vacation a couple months down the line and better prepare for it. But who knows, a couple months down the line, I'd probably still have a giant list. So maybe there is no good time. Sometimes those those just kind of the vacations that you need. It's it's life telling you that you got to get out the door and, and make a priority of it and business be damned. So do you guys have a lot of plans while you're out there or is it just kind of butt on the beach and, and relax the whole time? Nah, we like to be active while we're out there too. I mean, some downtime for sure, but our kids, our oldest especially, has gotten really into fishing. So we're going to do a little fishing charter, hoping very cool seasick. But yeah, if we actually catch something, I mean, he's used to catching like little bluegills and <laughs> tiny right. fish, right? Sunfish. <laughs> so it would blow his mind if he catches a real fish and apparently there's a restaurant then that they've partnered with so you can they'll cook your fish for you and oh very cool yeah you're your actual catch you get that for dinner nice that's right or at least they tell you it's your catch it's you're probably right. something that would taste a lot better <laughs> <laughs> but we'll go with it oh fun, so, fun yeah we're gonna do that we've got some hiking and snorkeling and the usual things planned but plenty of pool time too so we're excited, but like I said, I, I wish I was in a better mental state going in. And it's kind of a good reminder to me. I mean, you know, for whatever the next trip ends up being, I'd really like to be in a better place. It's my my dream, and I 
hate to admit, but I have not done this since, well, since we sold the last part of the business, taken time completely off, completely off grid. And I'm I, not going to do that this ask, time. Are you, are you, are you planning on working while you're, while you're out there? Yeah. It would stress me out more not to, but I'm going to try to be really diligent with, you know, on time and off time. So do a couple hours of work each morning, maybe before the family wakes up and then shut down for the rest of the day. But I don't, I don't feel like, I think I'd go crazy, which is really a sad statement, but if I completely shut off for 10 days, so that's the goal into the future, but not this time around. Yeah. And and I think that's an interesting, um, let's, let's kind of dive into that a little bit more because I'm with you. I, d- I can't remember the last trip that I took that I didn't have a laptop with me with at the minimum answering some emails and doing some work wherever we went on vacation. And I think that's part of that's kind of the nature of just owning your own business. And it's, it's really hard to disconnect. I also have the same feeling that you do where it's like part of me likes the idea of completely disconnecting the idea of it, but also part of me feels like I would just be, at least at this stage, a little bit of a nervous wreck of like not knowing what's going on. And, and definitely in my position, I'm essentially a solopreneur still, you know, I have a contractor or two, but it's not like I have a team that can just take over. And I know you're progressing to that point, but I don't feel like you're quite there yet. And I think that goes a long way is having that team in place that take the ball and run while you're gone. Yeah. I think I'm at least personally there on the other side of the business, you know, that can run without me. The pipe tech hub side cannot yet run without me. So that's the goal. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's just, it's always tough because <laughs> I've gotten the the look before, you know, while I pull out the laptop and it's vacation mode and it's like, really, you're going to do this now? And it's like, I know I just got to take care of this one thing. And I try to do it at, at, when you do too, you know, when it doesn't impact family time, but sometimes just stuff comes up and it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it definitely, it, it can, it can be a, a burden on the family a little bit and it's just something you have to navigate. But the other, the flip side of that is you have a lot of flexibility to do weeks like I had last week, which is like running around and doing errands and all this stuff. And it's just kind of, it's the two sides of the coin of the entrepreneurship and owning your own business and what that, that gives you It's that flexibility can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I mean, and at least my family, I think, generally understands, but certainly I get myself tied up a little bit when I'm going, oh, I feel terrible that I'm not out, you know, playing with the kids or doing this. I feel, but I'm, you know, I know I need to be doing this work, but I feel guilty about that. And it's, you know, sometimes it would be easier to just say, like, I'm attempting for this trip. I'm on when I'm on, I'm off when I'm off, you know, I'm going to time box it and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, best of luck with that. I know for me, it's always that one email feels like, oh, it's only going to take five minutes and then 20 minutes later because you have to look up some other stuff. And it's just, it, it's sometimes time just slips away on you and vacation time is important time. And it's, so hopefully you can are successful with that and kind of just blocking those different things. And you have some really good family time while you're out there. I'm excited for you. It sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. One way or another, I think it will be. So I'll report back how it goes <laughs> and everything's still standing. Sounds good. So since you're doing vacation, business is going well, why don't we uh, go into your, your business update? Yeah, business is, is churning along. You know, I feel like I can see this place where we are in a really nice rhythm of 
some small bug fixes and little, you know, UI polish type things while we're working on one major feature and kind of going back and forth between, okay, let's release this feature and we'll package in a couple of these smaller things and then complete the cycle again. And I'm almost looking at formalizing that and trying, you know, I think you did something similar a while back with having cycles and having downtime between the cycles to kind of catch your breath and and do some of that polish, hardening, bug catch stuff. Yeah, we were. I was doing, I believe it was six weeks. And I, I'm saying it in the past tense because that, that system has fallen apart a little bit. And it's 100% my fault. At the beginning, I think I did two or three cycles of six weeks with like a week downtime in between. And it worked great. And then, you know, business stuff, life came at me and it just kind of fell apart. I'm, I'm planning on getting that set up again because I do feel like it was a much more calm approach and it was far less hectic as far as what am I working on today? So it provided that framework for a little bit more planning. And you're absolutely right. It, it still provides that little bit of gap when stuff's going to come up, you know, you're going to have bugs that come up, you're going to have hot fixes that need to go out or even just higher priority customer requests that you didn't anticipate before. And so it kind of gives you that flexibility to tackle that within that, that, that cadence, which is nice. Yeah. It seems like it could work really well. And I say, it seems like, because we're not quite there yet. I mean, there, I think you have to be really solid. Like for example, we have one customer I was working with this morning and I honestly don't know what's going on. I think it's a data issue, but for some reason they just have a handful of related issues that is really not allowing them to have a great experience, which really pains me and is okay. Yes, we planned on working on these features that we have right now on the roadmap. And yes, we have a handful of the bug fixes that we want to do too, but actually we have to drop everything and solve this customer's issue. So we really need to get past that point so customers don't have these issues. And I mean, the good news is they're rare. We're continuing to onboard customers and it's it's really going well. But once in a while, you know, there's something that crops up. Like to give you an example, searching is something that happens all the time and it takes like 90 seconds for a search to run, which is not cool. But larger, larger customers, you know, can run it in seconds. So anyway, we don't, we don't know what's going on, but it's one of those things that is preventing us from working at that steady cadence, but we're getting there. And then in the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun because as more customers have come on board, we're getting some really good feedback. And that just is such a good feeling. Like People are using it really actively. It's so fun to roll out a new feature. I don't know if you've had this experience and then see someone using it exactly as it was intended without <laughs> telling them, you know, which is probably our own thing, but we don't have a good way to, to announce new features right now. So they just appear and yeah, people right. are using them. But in the meantime, we're getting like some feedback on, hey, it would be cool if it could do this and the, this isn't, it would be cool if it could fly me to the moon. You know, it's perfectly reasonable. That's a great idea. Let's prioritize it and put it on the roadmap type input and from multiple different customers. So I'm that's great. Loving that. Yeah. That's yeah. It's there's something about getting real live customers into the platform because especially with one that's so big and so complex as what you're, you're dealing with, 
it's so hard to predict how everyone's going to start using the platform. You can be opinionated and you think you know, but until they're using it in real world situations with real data, it's really hard to to anticipate all that. So to get that communication channel going and receive that feedback is is critical. And that's great. The other thing I would say that I'm noticing as we're getting more and more customers onboarded is you start to develop a better filter. I mean, the, the fact is there are some customers who just aren't a great fit for the product. I mean, they're still using it. But if I tried to solve for those particular customers, the product would get worse, you know? And so it's easier to evaluate, okay, unfortunately, you know, we'll help you. We'll do everything we can, but you're kind of in this other bucket because 90% of other folks are using it in the way it was intended. And so it seems to match their workflows a bit better. Yeah. And it also kind of removes a little bit of that, that survivor bias in the sense that if you only have 10 customers, you're going to listen to those customers, you know, give them extremely heavy weight in their, their opinions on how they do it. But it's so early that you don't know if they're those 10 individuals or even one of those 10 of 10%, you know, just one of those customers is giving you certain opinions. You don't know if that's what the market is telling you or that individual customer is their need. And so the more customers that you can get in there, the more that you can communicate with them, then you start to get a sense of, okay, what, what is the market as a whole? You know, then you start seeing those themes and understanding this is the direction we need to go because it's, it's being said by more than one customer. And you start seeing those themes and overlaps and it just gives you a much clearer direction of this is where we want to go because it impacts way more companies that we service. Yes. Yep. And so we have a handful of those type of features that seem to be on track for helping lots of people planned, you know, and the the other thing I'm trying to kind of do here as it relates to just product road mapping is scope features properly. You know, like we have two really big features that are months long that we're working on. So trying to also sprinkle in some of these other customer requests that make perfect sense and you know, are they necessarily a higher priority? No, but it'll help us keep our velocity and help us keep shipping. So kind of sprinkling those in as well and finding this balance and this rhythm. And like I said, I can see a glimmer. I can see where this is going to go and it's it's beautiful. We're almost there. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes you just have features that are roadblocks to other features, you know? And so like, you have that ultimate vision, you know, point B where you want to get the product, but it's like, we have to do so many things before we get to that point and you can even work on that feature. And so it's just a lot of infrastructure that has to be built or a lot of engineering that has to be done that sometimes is behind the scenes. Like the cust- the end customer doesn't even see. I'm going through a lot of that right now currently, and I'll get into that with my update, but it's, again, it can feel like you're a little bit on that hamster wheel, like you're running, but you're not really going anywhere. But eventually it's going to get there. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. going to come off the hinges and you're going to start flying. But right now it's just, you're, you're kind of in place. Okay. Here, here's my analogy for that because I know exactly what you're talking about. And I mean, even at times in this podcast, I've mentioned like when we were doing all that work to get our data structures correct, right? It's kind of like laying the foundation, you know? And then if you've seen a house get built, we've got a couple going in in our neighborhood now. It always blows my mind how fast the framing goes. And it's like, okay, now you can see what it's going to look like. It feels so good. So you've got to build that foundation and then you can start framing. And once you make that transition, 
the visible progress just goes at, you know, a really fast clip. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. hundred percent. So yeah, that's kind of been my world. You know, the other thing I guess I will mention, and I think we'll probably talk about more in future episodes is I've started to think toward next year a bit already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it's, it's already October. It's insane how fast this, this year's gone. It's crazy. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I think I say that every year. So if this is the way it's going to continue, that's a little scary, but yeah, it's yeah. time to start thinking toward next year. And we have some really big plans for next year that I can't quite announce yet. So, you know, I'm trying to pull myself out of not only just product road mapping and, and planning that way, but trying to step all the way up to a 30,000 foot view and doing some real strategic planning for the business as a whole. So I'm doing that. Well, then at the same time, you know, answering customer support inquiries. So it's kind of the life of just bopping back and forth. It, yeah. I mean, you, you have that product development and then you, you're, you're developing the, the business itself too. And that's, you know, that's always tough to make that transition into going straight from product into, okay, how do we, you know, do all those things like culture and build the business. And like you said, the big plans that you have coming up. So well, good luck with that. Yeah, it's a juggle. <laughs> a but in the meantime, yeah. I'm going to head to Hawaii and forget about it all. Right, right yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> What's happening working in your on that world, Sam? Let's, let's talk about your business. Sure. Yeah, so there's there's actually kind of – there's a lot that's happening on the phone number side or at least the the delivery of text messages. I mean, this is this is an industry as a whole that's been kind of – uprooted in the last two years. There's been a lot of policy changes from the carriers. There's been a lot of things that are coming from the aggregators, which are a level below the carriers and their policies. And so it's just, it's just constant. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's cost, constant talking to other people that are in the industry that are, you know, not, not direct competitors, but deal with text messaging and just kind of commiserating how miserable <laughs> the environment can be sometimes and the hoops that you have to go through. So the latest right now is the company that's in charge of all messaging for toll-free numbers. So if you're sending text messages on toll-free, all of those messages go through a single clearinghouse, essentially a single aggregator. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How um, do you get, then it gets sent do to they the basically carriers. have a toll bridge too? That sounds like a wonderful business. Kind, kind of. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where toll free for the longest time, no one sent text messaging on toll free just because it was kind of an obscure channel. And then the carriers decided to crack down on spam on local numbers. And so they rolled out this new program called 10 DLC, which it 10 digit long codes is what that stands for 10 DLC. And so it's a way to kind of vet who is sending messages on a particular phone number. And the basic idea is one brand one number. And before, especially with Twilio, Twilio did an amazing thing of taking all the complexity of sending a text message in the US out of the system in the sense that before, before they came along as an aggregator, as a, as a platform, you literally had to integrate directly with Verizon, integrate directly with AT&T, integrate directly with T-Mobile well, and then fun. all of the other minor carriers throughout. And so they basically said, we're going to take all that, that burden and just give you a single API to be able to start sending messages, which is great and fantastic. They were almost too good at what they did in the sense that you could sign up for a Twilio account, get a phone number for a dollar and start blasting people with text messages. And <laughs> what could go wrong? Guess what people did? Exactly. So 
big problems with spam on the local numbers, big problems with spam on the short code numbers that had high volume. And so the carriers are kind of taking care of those two channels. And meanwhile, you have toll free, which is kind of that happy zone where you can still claim something pretty quick, still send relatively high volume, but it was always this obscure kind of channel that no one really used. Now people are flooding into toll free because frankly, they made 10 DLC fairly difficult to acquire a local number and there's increased costs and a whole lot of provisioning. Short codes have always had a long provision time and a lot of checks and balances. And so everyone's flooding over to toll free. Well, now they're making the the same requirements or similar requirements with toll-free numbers where we want to, it's kind of like banks and know your customer type of thing. Same thing's happening with toll-free. So anytime you claim a toll-free number, you can start sending text messages on that, but it's going to be severely limited as far as how many messages per day you can send. And I think a little bit on the speed as well, how the throughput that's, that's being put there until you go through this verification process. And the verification process isn't, terribly extreme. It's kind of, what's the name of your company? Give us an address, give us a website, give us an example of some of the messages you're going to be sending. The the challenge is the submission process. Right now, there's no API. There's no way to check on what's the status of my verification. Have I submitted a verification for this particular number? So I have to track all of that internally on my end. And you have to do it on a per customer basis because each customer has their own number then? Correct. It's on each individual phone number that's sending messages. And and this is across both the businesses, both Textiful and Text Retailer. Now, Text Retailer doesn't have a ton of numbers, but Textiful, I think we've crossed 3,500 numbers, toll-free numbers that all need to be verified. Yeah. So it's a lot of numbers that that business controls and needs to get verified. Thankfully, they rolled out bulk uploads. And so you can actually generate a CSV and upload all this, which makes makes it a lot easier than having to submit these individually, which is how it first started. But the big change that's happened this week is they've literally started enforcing the volumetric restrictions. So that if you're unverified, if your number's unverified, you're going to start seeing error messages come through. And I've seen some error messages come through. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, I thought we had good coverage, but because there's no way, there's no interface, there's no API that you can say, hey, did I submit anything for this number? Yes oh or no. Gosh. And yeah. there's no way to check that. Just a total black and box. It's kind of a black box. And so I miss some, you know, and some of my customers miss some or the customer didn't fill out the information of the form that we have on the textful side. And so they start sending out a campaign and like, 75% of the messages don't go out because they're, they've hit their volume inputs. And so it's been a little bit of a scramble to kind of fix all that. I think we've gotten everything submitted. The good thing, the one good thing that they've done from a policy perspective is the verification process takes four to six weeks because they've just been completely inundated with everyone submitting their verifications for the toll-free numbers. At the very least, they remove the volume restrictions when you submit to get verified. So it's not like we're sitting here and waiting for six weeks and living under that restriction, that daily restriction. So that's the one nice thing that we're seeing that that gets all cleaned up as soon as we submit. And then it's just kind of a waiting game to see if they, they accept. But I think it's one of those cases where they didn't really know or really didn't have a good handle on how many submissions they're going to be getting. And I think they're just completely overwhelmed at this point. So we'll, we'll see how that all goes, but it's definitely had a lot of manual work on my end to kind of set up all these systems to not only capture the data, but track 
Have they been submitted? Are they fully verified? What information are we missing? And of course, they've changed the requirements and the different things that they're asking, you know, in the last few few weeks. And so it's like a week to week thing where it's like, oh, now we need this new piece of information that you didn't collect, but we weren't asking for it before. Now you have to add this into your form. And so I have to go back to all the customers and say, oh, we need this other piece of information to re-verify your numbers. And so it's just, it's been kind of a back and forth pain, but we're, we're getting through it. So that's, that's good. Well, that's good. Do you have to do a lot of interacting with your customers to get this process kicked off or are you not, not to- generally usually what I've done, at least on the textful side is when they, the next time they log in, we do, I run out into, to our, ta- our verification table. And if we don't have the information, we kick them to a mandatory page form that they have to fill out. I think they can get out of it. I think they can skip it, but it's just, it's plastered with warnings. Like if you don't do this, your messages might not go through. So please take some time to do this. And then we kick off some emails and saying, Hey, uh, we need to get your information, go here with the direct link and things like that. But I'm not having to call up <laughs> or, or in contact individual customers because ultimately it's, if they don't do it, they're just kind of shooting themselves in the foot. That's kind of an interesting and potentially troublesome approach though, because you know, if I, let's just say I'm an occasional user, I'm a live event user. Exactly. I haven't had an event yep. in a while. Now I've got one. I just expect it to work the way it did before, but I have this time period that I'm going to have to wait until it's verified or the errors will flow. Yeah. And we've seen that. And that's unfortunately happened this past week where the exact use case, use case that, you, that you've set up is someone was not a heavy user. And for whatever reason, they decided to start sending broadcast messages. They were unverified. They ignored the form or, or they submitted the form and we just didn't get it submitted in time because it is a manual process that we have to collect, collect all that information and shoot it off to our aggregator. And so they just kind of got caught, caught in the cross, crosshairs. And it is unfortunate. I've tried to do a lot of good communication around it, but if people don't check their emails, if they don't log into the platform, and unfortunately, that's just there's nothing much we can do about that because it's out of our hands. It's not like we can flip the switch and just say, "Okay, you're all good." It's it's literally a, a submission process that has to go through the entire carrier network, which is just it's just what they set up, and that's just how it is. Yeah, what can you do? How's customer feedback been? Is anybody upset about it or there are people handling it pretty well? I think they've handled it pretty well. I mean, again, it's only, it's only kind of hit a handful of customers. They've all been on the text to full side that it's hit. And the good news is because they, because these are daily limits, it just so happened that the campaigns that they were sending were just kind of like not time sensitive. Like they might be announcing a new product or something like that. And so we were able to take all those missed deliveries that occurred, get their number submitted and then send them out the next day. And so it, we've tried to accommodate and most people are understanding. I mean, the, the fact is you're going to run into this because this is all coming from the single aggregator. It's not like, Oh, they can go over to a different platform that handles this better or differently because it all is going through the same place, the same verification process across the U S. So it's just kind of how it is in the long term. I think it's going to be really good for the industry because hopefully it does adds enough friction that it discourages the spam accounts that are coming on board and keeps text messaging as a whole halfway decent. Now you wouldn't know that with, I mean, we're, we're near the election time, and all the pl- political text messages that everyone's getting is just 
just ridiculous. So, <laughs> you know, because they, they have, of course, carved out their own exception to the, to all of those rules when it comes to spam. I think that's changing though, um, for politicians, but man, it's, it's just, it's really putting a bad taste in everyone's mouth across the board. So we hope that it doesn't get completely ruined as a medium, but you know, we've all seen what happened to email. So it's only probably <laughs> only a matter of time. <laughs> well, at least there's a charge for sending a text message, right? So that yes. in theory will at least keep some of that at bay. Yes. And that's, that's ultimately the, the, the pro and the con of the, of the medium is it's, it's expensive to run spam on text messages, especially when you, when you're just sending it to random numbers and there's no, <laughs> any kind of thought process behind it. It just, it adds up pretty quick. So yes, that's going to hopefully keep everything safe. And, um, that in addition to these new rules and these new regulations and these new processes. So we'll see. But on the good, on the other plus side, I have, I've been talking to some of my, my aggregators and nothing official yet, but there might be a path forward for my short codes on the textful side to get an official, your good exemption from that going away. So if that happens, that would be a, they're still kind of diving into it, but they think there's a, there's a path forward for that. It's still up in the air, but right now I've just always been flying under the radar because ultimately we're not sending spam or anything, especially on those short codes. You literally, it's, it's about information capture. So someone texts in a keyword, we're asking for their email address, maybe their first name, and it's a really short and simple back and forth that happens. And then the, the quote unquote transaction is complete. That interaction is done and that's it. There's no more messages that go on that channel. So when my aggregators look at the stats, they're like, you have like no opt-outs and you have no errors. And I'm like, yeah, that's the use case. And so this should be allowed. And so make this happen. And so well, that would be so fantastic. We'll I mean, and it, for listeners who might not remember all the way back, this is related. Yeah, it's to, been a long time. Yeah, Sam business that is still running and going strong, textiful, where he got a notice at one point that the short codes they rely on are no longer going to be allowed on a per organization basis, right? So textiful yeah, can't have basically- a short code. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's it's the shared shortcode concept. And so they're they were kind of doing the same mantra of one business, one shortcode or one number. And we we share those across our our clients. So we have two shared we have two shortcodes on our platform and our customers can set up individual keywords that have interactions based upon the the keywords that start off the process, which is great from a public speaker standpoint. So it's just like text slides to this number and it's a five digit number. So it's really easy to see. It's not, you know, text 833-425-6832. It's just really simple numbers that people can see and and interact with. So that's kind of the the value proposition is really easy interactions kicked off. And then we're going to do something really simple, which is capture an email address and sync it to your email marketing platform. But yeah, for the longest time, it's always been thought of, well, this is going to go away or potentially go away because if they do a really strict interpretation of the policy, which is one brand, one number, technically these messages aren't directly controlled by Textiful. They're controlled by the individual clients that can set up their interactions on our platform. So it's it's frankly the reason that the text retailer has gotten all my attention is because I just didn't want to spend a ton of time and energy on something that had the potential to go away. And so I've been kind of diversifying into another another product. But 
if I can get that, you know, thumbs up and clearance from the carrier level that this is not, this is an acceptable use case. Oh man, now that's, a, that's pretty exciting things. Cause then I would actually bring in that same concept into text retailer potentially or expand what we have on Textiful and actually throw some marketing behind it and see where it can go. So we'll, we'll see where that pans out. Hopefully I get some good news, but frankly, I've been waiting for some good news for two years now, you know, because that's when the, all of this drama started. It's been all over two years and the shortcodes are still running. Everything's still fine, but it's no guarantee that it'll stick around. And that's the platform risk, I guess you could say. Well, fingers crossed for you on that. I hope that it does work yeah. out. I'm not going to hold my breath timing wise. I'm uh, not either. <laughs> but keep us posted on that front as well. I will. And I've been told the same thing, you know, a year ago, they said, oh yeah, that should be allowed. And then it's like, we can't really guarantee it. And and it's it's also this funny thing where like, I don't want to like stick my head out too far because if they, you know, if they're like, oh, this isn't really how we intended this to be used, even though it's fine, you're not sending me spam, you're not a threat we're not, we don't like this. And so it's, it's the nature of being at the mercy of another business and another platform. So, and speaking of which, <laughs> yeah, speaking of which on that, the other platform that I deal with is Shopify and waiting for their approval and their new process. And there's been no word from them. So still an employ- holding pattern with, with Shopify as well. Sam, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like you should take this vacation. You've got a little time to just sit and <laughs> wait for people to get back to you. <laughs> Well, I, I do have to say, we we went up to Minnesota, gosh, I bet it's been about three weeks ago, did a little trip up to Minneapolis, got an Airbnb, and it, it was one of those weeks that there wasn't a lot of high-priority stuff happening because I'm in this holding pattern with Shopify and some other things, and I didn't really have a new project to crack open, and it was a great vacation. We didn't, I didn't really do anything, you know, for the first, you know, few days. So it was a lot of family time, new environment. We went to the zoo, we did all that stuff. And it just kind of lined up in a nice way that the vacation just lined up with the business needs, which weren't that much at that time. So the, sometimes the stars align, it all works out for your vacation. Well, maybe that'll happen for me. In the meantime, maybe. what are you into? What am I into? Oh, so we are catching up on some shows that we have not, that are, that are long overdue the, to catch up on. So one of them is Better Call Saul, which is the the prequel to the Breaking Bad series. And I absolutely love Breaking Bad. And so we finally got through all of Better Call Saul because the final season was this, you know, a few months ago, they just had the final episode. And so we did a huge marathon start to finish to get caught up on that. We didn't see the the finale live, but we were a few weeks behind it. But man, I just I just love that world building that they did with that entire character arc and that story, and they just go so deep. It's frankly, it's just hard to keep track of <laughs> all of the the Easter eggs and all the references that are there. But it's it's such an enjoyable series. So I highly recommend both of them if you haven't had a chance to dive into Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul because they're just awesome. Cool. Yeah, I've seen Breaking Bad, but not Better Call Saul. Oh, it's fun. You know, my wife actually preferred Better Call Saul. It just has a different flavor to it. There's something about Saul as a character, Jimmy, that's just, you know, Bob Odenkirk is just phenomenal. The supporting supporting cast is amazing. It's just a really, really good story. And you get some nice, it, it definitely is, it, it stands on its own. So you don't necessarily have to see Breaking Bad first. It helps, but it definitely stands on its own. And there's all new characters that come into play that it's just really, it, it's just a really good show. Oh, fun. I'll check it out. Yeah. 
How about you? What's yeah, going on? I'm going to do two here. It's been a little while. One is going to be a recommendation, I guess, and the other is going to be an I don't know, can we call it an anti-into? We'll start with the uh, the recommendation. This book has been trending for a while, but it never split the difference uh, negotiation book. You know, and I, I'd heard, I would say most of the response and the, the reviews were positive. Sometimes people would have a pretty vocal, hey, there's nothing new here. It's It's not great. I got a lot out of it. You know, it's like any business book. You could probably condense it quite a bit and just read the highlights. But I really liked it. A couple just very good negotiation strategies really that are actionable and I've started using a bit and they seem to be doing their job. So yeah, never split the difference is the book. That's great. Yeah, I, I I admit I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I've read some kind of cliff notes of it. And so I, I know maybe can you give us a little bit of a gist of what your your big takeaways were? Well yeah so the book is written by I'm trying to remember if he's a he's a hostage negotiator and I think he worked for yeah, a couple right. different agencies. But just little things that you can do. You know, he says for example, no is not necessarily a bad word. And the analogy he gives is the telemarketer that calls selling a water purification system and says, Well, sir, can I ask you do you drink water? In the guy on the other end of the phone's mind, he's going, well, yes, I mean, of course I drink water. All I want to say is no and hang up, but I can't do that. And so it just puts him in a very negative headspace. Whereas actually saying, if he were to ask a question, and I don't have a good counter question here, but that was, no, no, I don't. Well, you're getting closer to what the customer doesn't want, which then allows you to get interpret what they do want. So there's kind of that. There's a number of different things just around listening and how the whole point is to really listen and understand what your negotiating partner or or the person who's you're negotiating against. I don't really like that word, what they're thinking about. So a couple of different things in there, all of them. Yeah. Very actionable. There's summaries at the end of each chapter that let you kind of highlight things. So worth reading. Yeah. And the, and the concept of splitting the difference kind of comes into play of if you want to sell something for $10 and the person wants to buy it for five, then it's easy to meet in the middle and just say, oh, we'll do $750. I forget, does he talk about some of those, how you frame that negotiation so you don't get into that that mushy middle and you can kind of get something that's not necessarily winning, but just kind of more, more in line with your original 10 that you're looking for, as opposed to just something that's kind of, yeah, we're in the middle and that's just easy and we'll walk away and that's how it is. He, he does a bit. I mean, the other thing that he points out, I think correctly with the title is when you get in that mushy middle, when you do split the difference, neither party feels good about the negotiation. So you go, oh, well, okay. So much better to kind of build up the case and both get what ultimately it is that you want and allow the other party to feel good about giving that to you. Yeah, that's so great. Never that's split great. the differences is the recommendation. The Anti-recommendation or the thing I am not into is (laughs) an epoxy garage or concrete patching kit. So it is a Rust-Oleum epoxy kit I bought to patch some spalling, some kind of crumbling concrete on my garage floor. Thought it would be really easy. I've worked with epoxy before. And the consistency of this stuff is just a gooey mess. You're supposed to use a, like a, spackling or putty knife that you would use for, to put like drywall patch on to put it sure, on. Yeah. And I mean, 
trying to get it smooth is just a joke. There, it's <laughs> sticking to things. It's running all over where you don't want it. So now, right before I leave tomorrow, I've got to get out there with a sander. And if you've ever sanded epoxy, it doesn't exactly go easily and try to smooth this yeah. goop out. So you just have like this big hump in your garage floor now, where where the where you tried to smooth it out. Is that kind of what the Picture results were? Like lemon meringue. A, a lemon meringue sort of pie or a cake. I don't know what you'd call it, but lemon yeah, meringue, you know, the I'm little like whip yeah. like peaks of whip. Yeah. It's uh-huh. kind of got that. Yeah. Going. And it also doesn't match the concrete at all. It's like a shiny <laughs> white gray. It, yeah. It's terrible. It's, uh, <laughs> so overall, it sounds like it was a huge success and exactly what you were looking for. Overall, I should have just left the holes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that, All Sam, right, well, we are um, not going to hop back in the saddle, obviously, next week because I'll be gone. But hopefully the following week we can get back on the mic and not go quite as long between updates. Well, I'm going to try to not think about you enjoying yourself on the beach too much. Like I said, we're in the middle of this cold snap right now. so But have yourself a wonderful time, safe travels, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk soon when you get back from, from the islands. Thanks. And as always, show notes will be up on sasslife.fm. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone.